Welcome to Spirits Podcast, a boozy dive into mythology, legends, and folklore. Every week we pour a drink and learn about a new story from around the world. I'm Amanda. And I'm Julia. And this is episode 89, Shashka. Oh man, I I do love Middle East stories. I do love the old ancient mythology ones. They're very good. And I think that this episode is going to reflect that because it is pretty wonderful. It's kind of like when you learn uh, like Latinate or Germanic or like Old Norse root to a word that we use now in English. And then you like read the list of other words that come from that root. And you're like, oh, my God, all of language. Everything That's makes how sense I feel. now. Yep. That's how I feel when we learn about a like proto goddess, you know, who mm. um, led to so many other, you know, ideas and concepts that we still use. Do you know who's a, a concept that we still use and celebrate every day, Amanda? Is it our brand new patrons it who, is. even though new, are already a part of our daily lives? Mm-hmm. Anthea, Allison, Ty, Madison, and Gavin. I hope that's not creepy because you guys are already like integral parts of our lives, as well as our supporting producer level patrons, our old faves Ashley Marie, Deborah, Eeyore, Ella, Jessica, Josh, Christina, Maria, Neil, Phil, Philip, and Ryan. People will tell stories of you all as you traveled from the Middle East to Egypt. It'll make sense later. That is a good one. I'm actually reading a book about the history of the senses. And there was a description about uh, smell and how, you know, in ancient Egypt and then ancient Rome and then the rest of the world, uh, like everything was perfumed for high society and the royals. Fucking everything. Like pour rose water on you, put rose petals under your feet so they get they get crushed as you walk and smell good. Check like out. 10 different perfumes on your body. It was like maximalist, extra sensory smell style. And I'm very into that. You know who else we're really into? Oh my goodness, our legend level patrons who have a combination of scents that is not overwhelming, but delectable. Audra, Cassie, Jack, Leanne, Lorelai, Mercedes, and Sandra. Y'all are wonderful human beings, and we couldn't do this without you. And that book for anybody who's interested is called A Natural History of the Senses. Uh, but Julia, the sense that I care most about right now is uh, taste and to a lesser degree, smell. So can you please tell me about the drink that we were drinking during this lovely episode? Um, I made us flying fig cocktails, which um, if you are one of our patrons who get our recipe cards, you also could try that. Um, but I swapped out the traditional recipe, uh, which calls for just like regular vodka with this fig flavored vodka called Figenza. And it was really, really dope. Any drink involving figs or the taste of figs, you know, I'm mad behind. Oh, I know. We would also love to thank Audible, which is our sponsor this week. If you go to audible.com slash spirits or text the word spirits to 500, 500, you can get a free 30 day trial and your first book is free. Yeah. And we'll be telling you a little bit more about Audible during our refill. Beautiful. And before we let you guys get into this wonderful episode, we did want to remind you that on our website, spiritspodcast.com, we have a list of all the other shows that Julia and I do. We have a list of the interviews that we give. We were just on this wonderful podcast about podcasting titled Tune In Dial Up by our friends Will and Gavin, where Julia and myself and Eric Silver from Join the Party and Horse talked about social media and community management and all the ups and downs of being indie podcasters with wonderful communities like this one. So check Check that out. We'll have a link in the description or spiritspodcast.com slash collabs. Yeah, uh, Tuned In Dialed Up is a great show. Uh, Will and Gavin are both amazing people who are really doing uh, the podcasting world a lot of justice by reviewing. Uh, and I highly recommend checking it out, even even past our episode, because all of the episodes are wonderful. Yeah, just started a couple months ago, so you can get in on that train really early. Mm-hmm. 
All right. Well, without further ado, enjoy Spirits Podcast, episode 89, Shashka. Amanda, we're, uh, we talk a lot about cool ass women on this podcast. It's basically what it's for. So, I mean, yeah, it's basically for me telling you about cool, cool women that I've discovered through mythology. Listen, there are a lot of worse reasons to start a podcast, and we have heard some of them. I, yeah, I've heard plenty. But um, today, I'm kind of going to take you to an area that we haven't really talked about a lot. um, And we're going to talk about one of the coolest goddesses. She's just like a goddess of everything. I think you're going to enjoy her. Her name is Shashka. I like it already. So she is a super interesting goddess who was originally a Hurrian goddess, but then was later adopted into the Hittite pantheon. So this is all like Near East area. So the Hurrians were a Bronze Age people from the Near East uh, living in Anatolia and northern Mesopotamia. The Hurrians were eventually integrated into the Hittite Empire, who were also an ancient Anatolian people uh, who reached their height around 1600 BCE. We're talking pretty far back then. Oh, yeah. So the Hurrian religion was polytheistic, uh, though, because it was spread across a large area, there are some regional differences. Uh, But the religion dates back to the third millennium BCE. Third millennium. 3000 BCE. Wow. We're going real far back in this episode. I'm really excited about it. We haven't, I don't think we've done like a really, really deep history in a really long time. Correct me if I'm wrong. No, we often speculate about, you know, the origins of some of these stories that we hear again and again, but I don't think we've talked specifically about um, anything really before ancient Egypt or Mesopotamia. Yeah. I mean, I think we've maybe done for more of our eastern stuff like when we do china and japan those date back pretty far but when we're talking about like non-eastern or like near east or european nothing is dated this far back so far so i'm really really excited let's dive in so uh kind of important for the context of shashka uh but the hurrians divided their gods into male and female groups so the male gods known as the Enna uh, were led by the weather god Teshub, while the female gods known as the Ena Astahena were led by the mother goddess Hebat. So many of the Hurrian myths were inspired by Mesopotamian and Syrian influences, and the, the Hurrians treated earth and heaven as gods, but they were not depicted as anthropomorphic deities. Rather, mm. like, they're still the heavens and the earth, like, physically, but they were also, like, considered deities. So uh, since creation, these two deities had rested on the shoulders of the giant Ebaluri, uh, who separated earth and heaven from each other with a copper sickle. Ooh. I know. Good imagery, right? Like cleaved them apart? Mm-hmm. Wow. So the Hurrian gods made offerings to the lower gods, the Enetorena, who are found in the underworld. So these offerings are made by digging pits known as abi and placing the offerings within the earth so that the lower gods can take them. It's a really physical uh, mythology and a really physical sort of uh, like essence of worship, which I really enjoy. You know I fuck with that. I love it. I, I know you do. Now, the Hurrians deified cult implements like uh, incense burners, offering dishes, all that kind of stuff, as well as divine symbols. So, for instance, the weapon of Teshub is deified, as was Habat's bed. So, like, if it's 
if it's associated with a god, it becomes deified in its own right. Meaning people uh, worship it, give offerings, or kind mm-hmm. of think about it as like equivalent almost with the god itself. Yes. Kind of like a kind of like Christianity with the cross is a good way to kind of view yeah. it. Any images of the gods were cleaned, anointed, and dressed like they were the real thing. So like statues were worshipped as though they were actual embodiments of the gods. Uh, there wasn't a lot of home worship. Uh, rather, the religion was focused around cult centers, and these acted as societal centers as well, which, you know, it's really important when we're talking about religion to understand that, like, hey, in a lot of sense, like, culture surrounds a religion, especially early on in these kind of cultures. Some of the important ones, particularly for Shashka, were uh, Lawanzataya, Kumamani, and Yazilikaya. Also, magic played a really important role in these religious practices. Uh, rain rituals in particular, because Teshup was the chief god and also the storm god. Uh, divination practices were also very important to worship and just general connectedness to the gods. In particular, they would use heptoscopy, uh, which is a form of divination where omens are read through the inspection of the entrails of sacrificed animals. Oh my goodness, that is a first for me to hear of yeah. that. <laughs> I feel like a lot of the uh, cultures that we've talked about in the past have done that but it's the first time we mentioned on the show so ha entrails i love specialized words get at me i want to do a whole episode on just different forms of divination oh yeah i saw on tumblr i think someone was talking about how there's like really interesting forms of divination uh and one of them is like hey ask a question like carve your question into different like radishes or like bulbs that you're going to try and grow and then whichever one sprouts first is your answer so like a yes or no question yeah yeah i think it's really cool so as i suggested earlier hurian and hittite mythologies are really closely intertwined and the syncretism in this area is like extremely common because that's just how religion works we've talked about this plenty of times before Um, So Shashka is pretty similar and is identified with several other powerful female deities from other cultures, such as like our girl Inanna, uh, who's Assyrian slash Akkadian, Isis from Egypt, Astarte from the Phoenicians, and even more well-known ones like uh, Usha from India, Aphrodite from the Greeks, uh, Amaratsu from Japan. Like there, there's this whole like interconnectedness between the East and the West in this culture. And it's really, really interesting. Yeah, it feels so cosmopolitan, like so connected to the rest of the world. And I, I think part of it has to do with the fact that, you know, the, the Near East was a trading hub for a lot of the European and like uh, Far East Asian countries. And also the uh, the idea that like, hey, this kind of predates a lot of stuff that we're talking about here. So the fact that it's spreading is because of like human beings are interacting with it and then bringing it home to their own their own belief systems and like incorporating it into that. And it's really, really cool and really interesting. Yeah. It's almost like looking at a landscape or forest and being like, man, how weird is it that like oak trees are, are all around this forest. And then you look and you're like, Oh, right. There's one oak tree that's older than everything else in the middle of the circle. And like, of course it's seeds are going to spread all around, you know, like it, it's uh, we're kind of reading narrative back in a process that seems kind of linear. Like there's a, you know, kind of Ur myth and everyone else comes into contact with it. It spreads, you know, human beings do their thing. They tell stories and here we are. Oh, I just love the idea of human beings and human culture as a forest. Oh, that's so nice. Such a good ecosystem. Such a good analogy. I'm going to just uh, sit here and think about that. 
I went, uh, I'll give you a little bit more time to marinate in that because uh, I was up in upstate New York um, in the Adirondacks recently and uh, on a boat, uh, which is my favorite place to be, on a lake with a book and some beer and nothing to do. And for the first time, I really noticed that uh, pine cones on trees are at the very tippity top of the tree. Like it's not really in the lower, more mature branches. It's at the tippity top that the pine cones are, are forming. Um, and mm. my dad, who I was with, was like, that's weird that all the pine cones are in the very top. And I was like, no, dad, that's because that's where the wind is going to take them the farthest. And the tree is trying to propagate itself from the, the farthest possible amount. And, and seeds are so great. And I, I like, I freaked out. It was, it was amazing. It's just, oh, just seeds are so cool. That's so cool. And I, I think that like, just if you think of our like human beings as a biological thing, yeah, you think about it and like, you understand that like life wants to like propagate itself. And ideas are very much like a human concept of life. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like understanding the world and your place in it and feeling connected to the stuff you can see and not feeling completely just like tossed around on the waves of life. Feelings if you have some kind of control over the weather or, you know, the seasons or life and death and sickness and health, whatever. Like that is a is a vital necessity to living. And like there is a reason why isolation is so dangerous for people and, and weaponized or one of the, you know, worst parts of like dealing with mental illness. Um, because like connection is a fundamental requirement of human life. And mm -hmm. it, it it's just uh, it makes complete sense. It reminds me of the idea that like series of mushrooms can interact via their root systems. Super organism I know. Oh, God. I just, I really, <sighs> okay, this is great. I, I I have to continue telling the story, but we can talk about this at the end of the episode, please. Okay. Okay. So, uh, like many of the goddesses that I listed before, we kind of went off the rails a little bit, but uh, Shashka is called upon to increase fertility. So, fertility of one's ability to conceive a child, fertility as in one's physical beauty, even like fertility of the earth. Wow. So, she's covering fertility everywhere. Uh, additionally, she could be called on uh, for success in military conquest or even success in business as well as protection and healing. Like, uh, she is just covering all of the bases of necessary human life, and I love it. She could achieve these latter things, so the protection of the healing, through shining her radiant light into the darkness of the human mind, which would lead to illumination and transcendence. What? So uh, this is actually very similar to Usha and Amaratsu, uh, though uh, which came first is kind of a subject to, of debate between scholars. Right. So, for example, Dr. Lini Srinivasan maintains that Shashka was the Hurian name for the goddess Washukani, who was previously the Egyptian goddess Isis, and the same Rigvadi Usha, basically stating that Isis was the original goddess from whom all of these are based off of. But others would argue that the Hurrians conceived their goddess uh, directly from Inanna, who was the first goddess of this type. Mm -hmm. So keeping all of this in mind, it's actually not surprising that Shashka wasn't just honored by the Hurrians and later the Hittites, but the Egyptians as well, though as a visiting deity. And I think this is the first time we've ever talked about visiting deities before, yeah. but it's a really, really interesting practice. So we know this because of the Amarna letters, which are a correspondence between Egyptian pharaohs and the rulers of other nations that were found in the city of Amarna. So there are at least two letters in this collection that mention Shashka. One of the instances is by a Mitanni king known as Tushrata, who sent his daughter Tudahepa to Egypt 
to be married with a dowry that included a statue of Shashka. Ooh. Like, it's incredible that we can track these things down through, like, hey, I sent my daughter to marry one of your dudes with this cool statue, and now she's, like, being worshipped there. How amazing is that? Not gonna lie, I do sometimes think about what the, like, written records of my life would lead future uh, investigators or scholars or whatever to think mm-hmm. about me. Like, sometimes when I'll, I'll be like, yeah, mom, I'm like, you know, I'm on 34th Street right now. I'm walking to wherever. Like, my smartphone can track me, but I also, I don't know, I kind of want to have people knowing where I am if I disappear. That's very morbid. Or just, like, thinking about the you know, the, the like miscellany that I leave behind in my life, like the receipts and the pins and the ticket stubs. And I don't know, it's just, it's, mm-hmm. it's a portrait of my life. And I, I wonder sometimes not in a super morbid way about, um, you know, what that, what that picture would look like to somebody outside of my, myself. Yeah. I really appreciate that too. And, um, like somewhat of a tangent, I studied the history of espionage during world war two when I was in college. And one of the more interesting, uh, like operations that we we looked into was one called Operation Mincemeat, hmm. which was designed in order to convince the Nazis that the Allied forces were going to be attacking one area when they were really going to be attacking another. Right. And the entire plot revolved around downing a plane that had already had a dead body in it and like hiding little things that like kind of like secret letters that they were supposed to be delivering, but also like little like ticket stubs to show where they had been traveling and like letters that they wrote to their fake girlfriend and like all of that kind of thing. And it's really, really interesting. And I kind of love this idea that it, I mean, obviously our quote unquote histories can be misconstrued and like manipulated in that way. And it's really, really cool. I know I'm, I'm a sucker for a like false trail in a crime novel or a TV show or anything. Uh, it's, yeah. it's very fun. It's, it's like not just reconstructing a crime, but people understanding that that's the human urge is to like look for stories and piece things together. So anything that's like self-aware enough to play with that it makes me happy. Yeah, I'm with you on that. <laughs> Uh, So interestingly, the dowry was part of a treaty between Egypt and Mitanni. Uh, In his letter sent along with his daughter and the statue of Shashka, Tishrata offers a prayer asking for protection from Shashka. So uh, it reads, Thus Shashka, mistress of all the lands, says, I wish to go to Egypt, a country that I love, and then return. Now I herewith send her, and she is on her way. Now, in the time, too, of my father, she went to this country, and just as earlier she dwelt there, and they honored her. May my brother honor her. Then, at his pleasure, let her go so that she may come back. May Shashka, the mistress of heaven, protect us, my brother and me, 100,000 years, and may our mistress grant us both great joy. That is a pretty full wish. Not mm-hmm. just let me make it to Egypt, because then you ain't making it back if you don't ask ah. the god for that specifically. So, like, well done on writing a true and full wish. Yes, I. this is the, the monkey's claw. You have to be really specific about your wish yes. or your weird genie wish. Otherwise, it will turn against you in dramatic irony. So I should note that this prayer of protection didn't actually work out great for Tishrata. Oh, no. Uh, Egypt pulled its support of Tishrata shortly after that. Tishrata was assassinated by his own son, and the Hittites uh, conquered Mitanni. Okay, okay. So basically the opposite. Yeah, basically the opposite. <laughs> it's very Shakespearean, if oh, we're being no. honest here. Yeah. And any, any like, uh, uh, 
fratern fratricide fratricide no it's killing your own brother never mind patricide patricide's the one we're looking for and regicide technically yeah (laughs) yeah i got some casual patricide some casual regicide you know very very uh rich stuff for um for play yeah uh, so ironically, Shashka became the patron goddess of the Hittite king, uh, the one that conquered Mitanni and also probably killed the son that killed the dad. Ah. Uh, and she became revered by Hittite rulers from then on. And so what was the idea of the, the visiting god, like a god that you would send with your emissary to keep them safe? Or like, hey, we are not just sending an emissary of our of our ruling family, but also of our like pantheon kind of both Mm -hmm. honestly so it's a matter of protection for the person who is traveling to this new land and giving them an idea like giving them a spirit to worship but at the same time it's also like hey our relationship is going to go so well that we are entrusting the like boons of our goddess onto you wow that's pretty serious stuff yeah it's really neat um so with all of that background I want to get into some actual stories of Shashka, because that's just the background, Amanda. Whoa. We got plenty to go. Whoa. Uh, but first, why don't we uh, go get a refill real quick? I'm down. Julia, I did something adventurous last weekend. I don't believe you, but go on. I did some outdoor sports. What? I went to a lake, a lake with no bathrooms, with just a porta potty, and I kayaked all around that lake. I was out there with my sunblock, with my shorts, with my sports bra, doing my kayaking, hanging out, looking at the reeds, listening to birds, getting mosquito bites. Mm-hmm. You know, I was really proud of myself for trying something different. I'm very proud of you as well. Thank you. And uh, I was, you know, using my hands to kayak and getting a little bit wet because it's a lake <laughs> and I'm like two inches above the water. Uh-huh. So I couldn't read a book using my hands, which is my ideal situation. But do you know what I had? Did you have Audible? I had Audible in my earbuds. So I was able to listen to a wonderful book as I was enjoying the sights, using my hands, doing my thing. I'm sure if I drove, I would listen to a lot of audiobooks as well. It's all the ways that you love podcasts, but you can have one long bingeable narrative and I am super into it. Yeah, actually, I just finished listening to an Audible book as well. Can I tell you a little bit about it? (gasps) Please do. Uh, So the book was called The City of Lost Fortunes by Brian Camp. Very, very good. It's basically like post-Katrina New Orleans, but about magic and gods and like lost things. And it's totally up my alley. You know me. I I read the description. I was like, oh, oh, no, this is perfect. Oh, wait, this is it. (laughs) Ah, I love it. You always have the great like magic related recommendations, which I love. I do my best. And if y'all want to check out Julia's recommendation or any other of the like tons and tons and tons of books that Audible has to offer, you can go to audible.com slash spirits or text the word spirits to 500-500 for a free 30-day trial with a free audiobook. So you get not only the trial, but also a free book to start your journey. Yeah, maybe you want to pick up The City of Lost Fortunes. I highly recommend it. And if for whatever reason you don't love this post-Katrina New Orleans magic novel, that's okay. They have a great listen guarantee. So if you don't like the audiobook, you can exchange it with no questions asked. And best of all, in my opinion, 
even if you're no longer a member, if you cancel it, your audiobooks are yours to keep. So you can go back and re-listen whenever you want. Yeah, because you own them. So go to audible.com slash spirits or text spirits to 500-500 and you get that 30-day free trial and that free audiobook. Awesome. Thank you again to Audible for sponsoring the show. And now let's get back to the podcast. Let's tell some stories about Shashka, shall we? I am so down. So most of her stories are featured in the Kumarbi cycle. Uh, this source is most likely Hurrian, but there's only uh, but the only existing records of it are from the Hittite period in Anatolia. So uh, take that with a grain of salt, I guess. Uh, so the cycle tells the story of Kumarbi, who is the chief god of the Hurrians, uh, closely associated with the storm god Enlil. So it tells the story of his dissatisfaction with human beings, as well as his two attempts to destroy all all of the human race. I mean, fair enough. We can be really annoying. Yeah, I know. It's it's some real Loki shit going on here. <laughs> uh, it is five, though sometimes six, depending on the source, stories altogether. And two of them feature Shashka. So it's the story of the song of Hedemu and the song of Ilikumi. The cycle starts off with the song of birth, which tells the story of how the gods Anu and Kum- uh, Kumarbi are in conflict over who will rule the universe. Who will indeed. Very fancy. Uh, So this story starts with how Teshub, who we mentioned previously is kind of like the Zeus ruler of the male gods, was conceived by the sky god Anu, uh, who was impregnated by his son Kumarbi in battle. Okay. Uh, So this happens because Kumarbi bites off Anu's genitals in the course of the battle, becomes pregnant because of the genitals, and gives birth to Teshub through the top of his head. That's definitely how biology and also gender work. Checks out. Teshub actually becomes so popular because he's basically the perfect combination of Earth, because Kumarbi is the, the Earth god, and Heaven because of Anu. Uh, So he becomes invincible, uh, a storm god who joins forces with his grandfather, but also uh, his grandfather slash father, because Anu, uh, and he helps defeat Kumarbi. Side note, don't you hate when you're reading a novel and then the family tree is at the end? I, this happened to me recently because there, I mean, it was a, it was a bit of a spoiler. Like the lineage was sort of revealed near the end, but I was like, motherfucker, this would have been really helpful at the beginning also, or at least to know that it was there. Or do like the one that doesn't have the spoiler at the beginning. Exactly. And then the spoilery one at the end. A middle one in the middle and let us see it evolve. Yeah. Very That's annoying. like my problem with uh, Game of Thrones is they have those family trees all the way at the end of the book. And I'm just like, who the fuck are these people? And then I get to the end. I'm like, motherfucker, you could have told me this beforehand. Yeah, I straight up read the first book twice. Like I finished the final page and then turned back to the beginning like, oh, okay, good. Now that I know who everybody is, I can enjoy the story. <laughs> Now that I know the concept of who everyone is, I can understand what the fuck is going on. Which debatable still with Game of Thrones, <laughs> but anyway. So Teshuv is a great hero and a champion of humanity because he's able to defeat Kumarbi, uh, who wants to end all of human life. Uh, but actually, it isn't Teshub who thwarts Kumarbi's actual attempts to destroy human life. That's Shashka the first time, and Ia, the god of wisdom, the second time. How does she do it? Let me tell you how it happens, Amanda. Thank you for asking. You you led me right into my segue. We don't do this in advance, but we just know each other well enough that it happens. So the song of Hedemamu, that is the next story in the cycle. Great title. Kumarbi mates with the daughter of the sea in order to give birth to a monstrous sea serpent named Hedemamu, uh, hence the name of the story. 
So Hedamamu poses a threat to Teshub and all the other gods who are fighting against Kumarbi, uh, though the reason why he might actually be able to kill Teshub is not made exactly clear. I just because he's a giant monster, one would assume. Yeah, has the power. But Teshub isn't even aware that this like giant serpent monster exists. So Shashka transforms herself into a snake in order to hear the conversation between Kumarbi and the sea, where Kumarbi reveals his plans to use Hedamamu to destroy the human beings. It's that classic, like, let me give you my entire plot uh, and and plan to, like, as a villain at the end of the movie in front of the captured hero, where you're like, good hero, you're going to die soon. Let me just tell you about all my plans. <laughs> the classic Bond move. So Shashka goes home, she anoints herself, and she ornaments herself. Beautiful. The actual quote ends with, she ornamented herself, and beauty was running after her like puppies. I love Aww. that quote so much. So cute. It's adorable. Beauty is like it's falling so on its own face to get after her because she's so wonderful. It's like staggering after her, just wants to follow her around because they know that they'll get pets and food. More <laughs> puppy metaphors, please. So she is so stunning that Beauty can't even keep up with her. Amazing. So she invites her two attendants to come with her to the shore, bringing cymbals, drums, and like the whatnot to like, you know, and she performs a dance for Hedamamu. She arouses him by exposing her naked limbs and is able to seduce him. The story tells it, quote, she sprinkled beauty into the powerful waters. Ooh. The beauty dissolved in the waters and Hedamamu tasted the scent. The beer, a sweet dream, seized victorious Hedamamu. He was dreaming like an ox or an ass and he recognized nothing and was eating frogs and lizards. So basically he falls into this drunken sleep never to wake up again and Shashka saves the world. Oh my with word. Her, with her beauty. With, with her, her beauty. beauty. Just her limbs. Her, not not her even any of the other so stuff. Her beauty is so intoxicating. Oh, I love it. I love it so much. And it really is like the some Medusa style like chat, like harnessing the thing that people try to use against you. I don't know if they yes. have the same like kind of toxic, uh, you know, misogynistic culture where people are objectified and, and, you know, women are made to feel lesser than and treated as objects. But like, this is a really, I think, empowering way to be like, no, beauty is not just for other people to remark upon and make you feel bad about. Like, it's also, you know, if it's a, if it's a tool in your toolbox, if it's a thing in your arsenal, like it's something that you can use. I love when goddesses are able to like match wits with people, not just by like getting on their level, like say Athena and Ares would like match wits, but they're both gods and goddesses of war. Yeah. Shashka is saving the world just by being beautiful and being enticing and like using what she has available to her in order to do something that none of the other gods and goddesses can. I also dig that Hedamamu was like eating lizards as his like drunken stupor is taking effect. That's really cute. It's like, mm, yeah, lizards and frogs. I'm so drunk. That's like when you... That's like when you get really, really drunk and you're like, oh, man, all I want are mozzarella sticks. I shouldn't eat some mozzarella sticks, but fuck, I want some mozzarella oh, sticks. Oh, no, there's four of them. Oh, bye. And they're gone now. Goodbye. Goodbye forever. So in the next story, Kumarbi is back on his bullshit, trying to destroy human beings in the song of Ilikumi. This time, he knocks up a cliff, you know, like you do. Okay. Uh, giving birth to a stone monster named, again, Ilikumi. So Ilakumi manages to remain unnoticed because Kumarbi hides him on the shoulders of the god Ibaluri, who is the one, the giant who is holding the world up, kind of like Atlas. Mm. But the problem is he's pulling away power from Ibaluri 
and grows stronger and larger until Shimiki, the sun god, notices him. Classic child mm. parasite. Children are scary enough as is when they're sucking, when they're leeching life from you. Worse. Thousand times worse. Yeah. Also beautiful? I don't know. I don't know. So Ilakumi seems to want to destroy Teshub first, wanting to, quote, crush him underfoot like an ant and chop off like chaff. This is because Teshub was considered the protector of human beings. But once again, Teshub wasn't even the one to defeat the monster in this story. Uh, Shashka tries to defeat the monster the same way that she did before. She bathes herself, she prepares herself, she goes to the beach with cymbals and drums, and when she tries to dance, the sea raises itself up into a giant wave, which means it is a much different threat than the serpent had been. Oh, yeah. So, see, the problem is that Ilukumi is a giant of stone who is both blind and deaf and thus immune to Shashka's charms. Aha. Uh-huh. Kumarbi figuring the shit out the second time around. <laughs> so... Ilakumi fights with the gods, winning a few battles, but Shashka contacts the god of wisdom, Ia, who cuts Ilakumi away from the shoulder of Ebaluri with the same blade that was used to separate the heavens from the earth, that copper sickle coming back to it. So severed from his source of power, Ilakumi dies and the world is saved. Wow. I love the idea that the like weapon of creation, if you want to put it that way, is not just the one and done type thing. Like it, it comes back around. No, I really like that. I think that has a lot of like, in order to save the world, we're using the same tool that was used to create it. And that's like really interesting and really cool storytelling. And like I said before, like a lot of the, a lot of the tools used by the gods were deified by the Hittites and the Hurrians. So the, the copper sickle, very, very important, both in the storytelling and in the worship of the gods. Yeah. It's like calling on another god for assistance in solving this issue. Yeah. Uh, so kind of wrapping it up a little and then we can get into like some real discussion on the, the stories and whatnot. Uh, so no matter what the story, Shashka is usually depicted as a resourceful goddess who is clever and consistently works towards the best interests of human life. Thank you, Shashka. So she is usually depicted as a human with upturned wings, which are an artistic significance associating her with the heavens. She's also often shown standing on a lion, accompanied by those two attendants who were out there playing the cymbals and drums for her. Hell yeah. So she was extremely respected throughout the Hittite Empire and persisted in worship even after the fall of it in 1200 BCE. Here's another quote for you. The kings of Anatolia served Shashka, and she commanded them through dreams, oracles, and the augury of female soothsayers. The augury of female soothsayers. May I always live up to that sentence. Wow. I want that to be a cool female-led punk band name. Yeah, or like an underground network of women librarians. Yes, our our lesbian librarians who listen to the show. Yeah. Hi, fam. Hi, we love you. Speaking of her worship, her clergy featured both men and women, though women seem to have a more prominent role in the clergy. Interestingly, she supervised conjugal love and harmonious relationships, but also could unpredictably turn love into a dangerous endeavor, as we saw with her seduction of Hedamamu. It sort of like puts all the power in women's hands, which I really dig, and is an inversion yeah of at least the you know kind of society that we grew up in i can't speak to what it was like then um but it is uh that's pretty that's pretty cool yeah and this is probably my favorite part so in many artistic depictions she is shown clothed both in uh men and women's clothing 
So as I mentioned before at the beginning of the episode, the gods are split into two groups, the male gods and the female gods. But Shashka was featured in both groups. Hey, non-binary or, or gender fluid or something. Yeah, so historians take this uh, as a sign that she was either like particularly androgynous or like considered bisexual or considered gender fluid. And I think that's really, really interesting. That's awesome. She was just so great that one gender couldn't contain her. No, she's got a, she's so cool. She's covering all the bases. Like I said, all the bases for Shashka. Love it. So um, I kind of want to dig more into the conversations that we were having about the uh, spread of human ideas. Yeah. Because, you know, that's my jam. Uh, and I really like the idea, especially when we started talking about how she was a visiting goddess and a visiting deity, um, how like really impressive the idea that one culture's god or goddess can strike such a chord with another culture's that they eventually adapt it and that it's seen as such a like boon to a society that it's something that you would send along in order to create a peace treaty how interesting is that yeah it's really interesting as a as an instrument of diplomacy um because the the whole idea of of diplomatic relations is like hey you know we uh, like and trust you and we're going to send someone you know from our nation into yours to have a little piece of our nation there and vice versa um and you know bring gifts bring traditions understand your traditions like just a, a really lovely like marriage of two cultures is the idea um and when so often we talk about religion in terms of um conquering and replacement and like there can't possibly be room for two gods at the top you know and and like it's so much easier to kind of like uh replace someone else's tradition with your own instead of looking at the ways in which they could coexist or maybe other folks got it right like that is hard to to accept if you're having a kind of conquering mindset um but that's why i really like diplomacy so much is it's it's not here to replace one with another or to you know say that somebody's right it's just to say like hey you know here we are both of us living our lives we'll find a way to coexist to learn from each other um to have a process by which we can resolve disputes. And it makes complete sense that like the thing that ought to be, and is probably, you know, shaping, governing your life, um, which for a lot of folks is religion and religious belief and cultural belief. Um, of course, that should be a prominent part of, of that process. Right. And we talked about it at the beginning of the episode, but the Hurrians and the Hittites, so much of their society and so much of their culture was surrounded, was surrounding the religious, uh, like the religious institutions, their temples were also their like societal centerpieces. And I really like the idea of diplomacy because it, it brings to mind this idea like, hey, our our gods are our ambassadors, our gods are our diplomats, and yeah. we can send them along with our actual ones in order to like, argue our points kind of to like show this is what's important to us. And this is what's important to this mission that we're being sent on. So to send Shashka with them is like, hey, we want this relationship to flourish because she's the goddess of uh, of like fertility and like agriculture, but also like the booming of society and stuff like that. So to send her along with a like a peace treaty is so interesting because it's like, hey, this is what's important to us. This is what we want to grow. 
And I I want you to have the same experience that we're having. It's almost like the political version of like meeting the parents where it's like, okay, it's one thing to like date and have your life, whatever. But it's it's pretty serious when you decide to bring somebody into that larger uh, context and to let to let your God meet another culture like that's big, too. You know, you don't want to look like a fool in front of the God, probably. So it's uh, it. Uh, I like it. I really like this idea that so much of culture is a matter of like prioritizing the needs of your community. And I think that when we're talking about a, a goddess like Shashka, when we're talking about something that is fertility, but also strength in battle and is wiliness and like just the ability to survive, I think that's really interesting, especially for early cultures and early religions. And also one that like saw many different kingdoms rise and fall throughout the like reign of her deity-ness. You know what I mean? Right. And I think that it's just, it's really interesting to kind of see what perpetuates in times of struggle and in times of change, uh, because I think that shows what's really important to human beings in general. Absolutely. It's both tactical, like the thing that you need right now to help you get through the day, but also it's like the thing you're striving for. It's an ideal. Um, and do you, you know, reach for the the God of like troubled times or do you say like, you know what? No, I'm going to hope for my best life and I'm going to plan for my best life and I'm going to, you know, let my worship, um, you know, be useful to me and fill a place in my life that reality can't right now. You know, it's it's like escapist in the best way. Um, yeah. And you're right. Like that is that is such an interesting time. Like periods of transition are are so um, fruitful to study in your own life, but also in history. Like it's one thing to be like, OK, hi to the Roman Empire. They did whatever. Their systems were cool. They made coins, blah, blah, blah. But uh, like what happens when shit hits the fan or when societies are brand new? Uh, that that mm-hmm. to me is, I don't know, the most interesting thing. Yeah. What survives when the rest of the culture doesn't is always a really, really fascinating thing. And I think that's like a really good thing for our uh, listeners to reflect on this uh, for the next week or so. I think we should think about what is important to us and what is going to survive when we're not there anymore. Because I think that that tells a lot about ourselves and it tells a lot about who we are, the imprint that we're uh putting in the world like you kind of pointed out earlier on in the episode and just like who we are as people and who we are as a culture and what's important to us and will last past us yeah that may seem morbid but i mean we're a little bit morbid listen y'all you listen to spirits we're creepy cool Mm -hmm. um but again to me like kind of returning to my kind of dumb comment about like my receipts and ticket stubs and whatever you know forming a a portrait of my life like to be really real you know it's one thing like I, I can have whatever values I want but my life is also you know in some ways nothing but a summary of the acts that I do uh and I can think I'm the you know best person in the world or the most complex person in the world but other people experience me via my actions. Um, and so I, I think it's really helpful uh, sometimes to think about, you know, what what is the sum of this all? And like, what, you know, what am I spending my time doing? And what, um, you know, when life is stressful and I have no time, like, what do I spend my time doing? Uh, and sometimes, you know, self-care means like watching a bunch of TV and uh, re-watching Brooklyn Nine-Nine for the third time because it's, it's the one pure thing in this goddamn world. Totally understandable. 
but also for myself anyway, I'm, I'm trying to figure out the best way to, you know, have downtime and have, you know, time that I can let my brain just recharge, but also to realize that, you know, I'm, I'm not going to do anything great by prioritizing only myself. Um, and there's, right. there's a way to do both of those things and to make sure that I live for others and give back and have real things that I contribute to the world. Um, in addition to just my thoughts and, you know, pleasures and, and like, you know, having, having a good time in between. Yeah, I'm with you on that. And I also think that like, we do put a lot of pressure on ourselves to like make an impact on the world. But I don't think that every single day that you spend out there needs to be impactful. Yeah. You you have so many days on this earth and you don't have to make everything like the day that the historians will look back on and be like, that is the day she did that thing. But like at the same time, you have to take care of yourself. Every day can't be a struggle. Every day can't be a war. Every day can't be a battle. You just have to live one day at a time. Yeah, like before the day on the beach, I'm sure that Shashka had lots of days of like, you know, hanging. Yeah. And figuring things out and thinking and marinating. Uh, and like as as an one of the most like helpful kind of um, metaphors I've ever heard was that if you're an artist and somebody who has a lot of output and making a lot of stuff and putting a lot of things out there into the world, you also have to have some periods of input. Like you have to have some, some months where life is really stressful and you watch a lot of TV or read a lot of books or a lot of comics or play a lot of video games because that's like recharging. It's taking things in. It's letting your mind and your subconscious, um, you know, recharge and come up with new ideas. Uh, and that doesn't mean you're a bad artist. It doesn't mean that your, you know, artistic output is over or that you're a freeloader on the world or like whatever, you know, BS bad story your brain wants to tell you it's you know there are cycles and seasons to life and um it's not about you know how did i finish this day ultimately but it's about you know the the sum total of it and the narrative of it yeah i'm with you on that so with that listeners knowing that every day doesn't have to be a battle every day doesn't have to be a war i'm going to also to remind you to stay creepy and stay cool Spirits was created by Amanda McLaughlin, Julia Shafini, and Eric Schneider, with music by Kevin McLeod and visual design by Allison Wakeman. Keep up with all things creepy and cool by following us at Spirits Podcast on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Tumblr. We also have all of our episode transcripts, guest appearances, and merch on our website, as well as a form to send us your urban legends at spiritspodcast.com. Join our member community on Patreon, patreon.com slash spiritspodcast for all kinds of behind the scenes stuff. Just $1 gets you access to audio extras with so much more available too. Recipe cards, director's commentaries, exclusive merch, and real physical gifts. We are a founding member of Multitude, a collective of independent audio professionals. If you like spirits, you will love the other shows that live on our website at multitude.productions. And above all else, if you liked what you heard today, please share us with your friends. That is the very best way to help us keep on growing. Thank you so much for listening. Till next time.